Attention men, are you wanting to break free from porn or other unwanted sexual behaviors, but finding it seemingly impossible to quit? If so, we can help. My name is Jonathan Darty, the founder of Gateway to Freedom. This three-day workshop is for any man who wants to overcome any kind of unwanted sexual behavior. So whether you're married, single, or divorced, this powerful and proven intensive weekend will help you uncover what is at the root of your struggle and discover the man God always created you to be. Space is limited, so call us today at 210-822-8201 to register. That's 210-822-8201 or visit bebroken.org slash gtf. Good day, listeners. Jonathan Darty here with another edition of the Pure Sex Radio program. Pure Sex Radio is produced by Be Broken Ministries. Be Broken's mission is to help men, women, and families move from sexual brokenness to wholeness in Christ and equip others to do the same. Today's guest is Damon Owens, co-founder of Joyful Ever After and first executive director of the Theology of the Body Institute. He's been married to Melanie for 29 years and they have eight kids. In today's episode, Damon shares a robust definition of marriage, why this matters in both the marriage relationship and the world, and the epic intimacy challenge for couples to experience the fullness and beauty of God's design for marriage. There are four key areas of intimacy for a thriving marriage that Damon discusses. One, emotional intimacy. Two, physical intimacy. Three, intellectual intimacy. And four, communicative intimacy. If you want a deep dive for casting a strong vision for a thriving marriage, listen in to this powerful conversation with Damon. To learn more about Damon and his ministry resources, visit joyfuleverafter.org and epicintimacy.org. For more resources, visit bebroken.com or check out links in today's show notes. And please rate and review the podcast after listening to help others find it. Now let's dive into today's conversation. Well, all right, Damon Owens, how are you doing today? I'm fantastic. Excited to be with you. Thanks for the invitation. Yeah. Welcome so to, to the program. I'm so glad to have you here. It was uh, really cool to be able to meet you earlier this year at the Sexual Integrity Leadership Summit in St. Louis, where you were one of the uh, plenary session speakers um, and really dealing with a lot of the issues around uh, even theology of the body. Uh, you brought a great message, I think, on that. And then um, we had Dr. Nancy Piercy also there really dealing yes. with the issue of transgenderism, and it was just an amazing time. But I really wanted to have you on our program because I just, I loved a lot of what you were saying as it pertained especially to this uh, wonderful institution of marriage. And can you just let our listeners know a little bit of what you do and kind of why um, your emphasis is so heavily focused on marriage? Oh, I'm delighted to. So my beloved Melanie and I have been married for uh, 29 years this year. We've had eight children and we were married in 93 and immediately got involved in marriage preparation, marriage ministry, not because we had been, you know, deeply embedded in ministry before. It was our first time individually or even together as newlyweds in our Catholic, Catholic life, our Christian life. And with the Lord was really um, a call. We had such a, you know, an interesting marriage preparation experience. We were recent, you know, returns to the Lord uh, after some, you know, really tough college and graduate school years. So we were on fire for the Lord. 
And we thought that this area was something not only that we could do together, but we needed. We needed the community. We needed to be around other people. So we've been involved in marriage ministry, you know, for, you know, since 1993. And the theology of the body, as you mentioned just recently, was um, relatively new. It was about 10 years in that I was introduced to this as a, a whole body of teaching. And it really fit well into marriage. It fit into our own journey to grow in holiness in marriage, but also the, the ability to communicate to the culture, to people at various levels of, you know, relationship with the Lord ways, uh, you know, grasping the heart. What do they want? What do you want? You married for some lofty vision, right? Love does that to you. And yet the lived experience can be so much different, can be so different in good, bad. It just shatters expectations regardless of where we come from. So very much the call the Lord has brought on my heart and our heart has been to journey that uh, with couples as we're journeying ourselves. Not standing on a mountaintop saying, be like us by any means, but more of shoulder to shoulder saying, there's a whole community of people who are married in the Lord. And that marriage in the Lord, it, it doesn't change this, the challenges, but it changes the experiences of the challenges. It puts the Lord in the center. So that's really the heart of, of everything we've done since then. Yeah. Well, and where I would love to eventually uh, see our conversation go today is really around the issue of, of intimacy in marriage. Like what is marital yeah. intimacy? What is that oneness that we hear of in, uh, in scripture? But yeah. I want to start way back at the very, very most basic question. And that is, what is marriage? Oh, Jeff, how would I you can't tell you that how question? <laughs> oh, I'm so delighted you asked that question. That's that's one of my my things when I when I when I do things secular and and Christian is that there's this presumption of what marriage is that we have to ask, that is the that is the first question to ask because the reality is even before the Supreme Court decision in 2014 or um, you know the series of the cultural changes. There have been so many different meanings of marriage, and we use the same word for so many meanings. So, quick answer. Marriage to the Christian is an indissoluble union of life and love that's entered by a man and a woman for their own good and for the good of the church, the world, and the Lord. So, it speaks about what we call vocation from the Latin vocare. We're called to marriage. It's deeply connected to our baptism because it's a state of life that we freely enter into that has two beautiful dynamics. One of them is it makes visible in the world a deep mystery about God himself. That God is a communion of persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit in such union that they're one. This is the core of Christianity. And from the very beginning, he created marriage. Our first parents, Adam and Eve, before sin, he created marriage as a sign in the visible world of himself, of what can happen when two become one. And yet we're not God. So the other dimension is that we actually become more human. We become more in the image and likeness of God. Here's our church talk. By living out this state of life that actually forms us to teach us how to love, how to give and receive ourselves in love. And to your point on intimacy, which is another hidden secret, Intimacy in our schema is the measure of that love, the vulnerability, mutual vulnerability to be in communion with one another. It's not an annihilation of two people to become something different. Mm -hmm. It's this unique union of two unique, unrepeatable persons that becomes something that never existed before. 
So the intimacy speaks is a word that gets to how much can we love one another? How much can we become one, as, as Genesis 2 says? And how much can we love? Can we give ourselves one to the other and become what God created us to be? So that's not the bumper sticker. That's not the meme, right? But what is marriage gets to everything. That if it's not rooted in that relationship with the Lord that begins with baptism, it's something else. So to be joyful in marriage is going to have a whole different plan if what you think marriage is, is not rooted in that description. And in that, and as it pertains to the conversation we're having, um, how critical is it that this is something that comes from God? In other words, how yeah. critical is, is it for us to know that marriage is a is actually a gift, not some kind of either man-made institution or something that was just sort of uh, evolved societally because we thought this was a good idea. How important is it to even what you're even where we're going in terms of building that intimacy? How why is it so important that we understand that this was something from the mind and heart of God versus just something that we came up with as a good way to form society? Yeah, Jonathan, it's essential, um, and I use that word meaning it's the the essence of marriage. If we don't acknowledge God as the author of marriage then we'll never accept his authority. And his authority in marriage is not one of, of overwhelm, right? His yoke is easy. His burden is light. But when he's the author, you go to the author to say, what does this mean? How do I live this? What do you expect from me? How do I receive whatever it is that you have expect of me? And the answer to those are all positive. He expects us to, to, to receive and to give love, to experience a joy that's a fruit of love, to become more human, and if we're human in his, in his description, then we are made in the image and likeness of him. So we become more divine. We become more like him. Not as little gods. We don't self-create because that's a whole other order. It's like self-creating marriage is the fruit of the idea that we can self-create our, our, our own identity. As a man, as a woman, I can change things. I can do this. The whole idea of self-creation has given rise to uh, other arrangements and relationships that there's some honor to them, right? Every relationship is honorable, is, is has a potential of honor in it. But the fullness of what marriage is, is deeply rooted in who, in what God created. So it's essential to that. Now, the other piece of that is because we live in a culture that has so many different meanings of marriage, there's evidence that we see for this, that those without faith don't see it. In other words, because we all desire love, it's a human universal to give and receive in love. As a Christian, we say, well, be, well, God is love. So it's, a, it's, a, it's, it, it's built into us this, this yearning and longing for God. But others say as well, it's just everywhere. So there's, it's got nothing to do with God. It has to do with this, this humanity that I've, I've come to understand through my own intellect, through my own reason, through my own experience. And I can determine what's true. Those are two irreconcilable concepts of what it means to be human. And it's two irreconcilable concepts of God. And I think this is one of the reasons why marriage and the conversations around it, morality, sexuality, children, family, um, divorce, adultery, contraception. I mean, name all the difficult things, homosexuality. The reason that these are so controversial is because they're so universal. And if we don't agree on that answer of what these things are, there are fundamental disagreements about, I mean, literally the reason for our existence. It's, mm -hmm. That's not overstating it. The whole reason for our existence 
flows from that author and his authority and our willingness to put ourselves under his mission, that submission, submitio, Mm -hmm. to God. So marriage is the proving ground for our Catholic faith. Now let's, uh, you know, a lot of times then when we actually talk specifically about this phrase, uh, intimacy, especially as it pertains to marriage, a lot of times the first thing that pops into someone's head, and and Christian or non-Christian, and rightly so, is the issue of sex. Yes. So can you talk a little bit about why is sex, from God's perspective, only for marriage? And what does mm-hmm. that do for the building and growing of intimacy as God has designed it? Yeah, another great question. Thank you. You know, the... Um, we have, this is my diagnosis of, of the cultural problem is that we have all the, we were looking at all the same elements, love, marriage, sex, male, female, children, uh, family. We're looking at all these things and we have this desire for them at different levels, right? But one of the problems with the, the culture is that we have inverted what's first. In other words, I look at it as binoculars. If you look at through binoculars, you can see things and you can draw things closer to you. It's like my autofocus here, right? I move my hands and it changes the focus, right? So when we look at things, we can draw things that are far away to become close to us. But when we reverse the binoculars, it's the opposite. Things that are close to us become further away. And I use that analogy of binoculars to say that our culture looks at love through the lens of sex, when in fact we're meant to look at sex through the lens of love. And when you look at sex through the lens of love, then you start talking about things like intimacy, commitment, permanency, uh, belonging irreplaceably to one another. When you look at uh, love through the lens of sex, then sex is first. And everything is looked at as sexual. Intimacy is sexual. Relationships are sexual until proven otherwise. Um, Everything that delights us in the moment is not just an experience of life but it becomes a right and not just a right. It becomes a demand for immediate pleasure. I have a right to immediate pleasure. That's the fruit of a culture that has placed sex as the first lens. So the first move that we have to even talk about intimacy, what you're getting at is to reverse that view that we need to look at at sex through the lens of love and that sexual union, sexual love is a, is a incredible gift that God has given us rooted first in being made male and female and being made male and female as a sign, if not the preeminent sign of being made in God's image and likeness. That he created sex, male, female, when he created us. He's not sexual. Mm -hmm. So when he created us male and female, the phrase we use is, this is from the theology of the body, that God transferred into the visible reality of the world the invisible mystery hidden in him eternally and thus be a sign of it. So our very bodies are made male, male, made male and female. The, the ability of having a male and a female that can become one flesh, be one. That's not just poetic. It's not just anecdote. There's something very ontological. It's about our being. And it's interesting that that intimacy, that ability to be so close in communion has the power to create new life. Mm-hmm. Not always. Just the fact that it's possible, Jonathan, should put us on our knees. That the God has placed in this particular type of love 
the sexual union, the sexual love, the ability to create new life. And you can observe just by that by saying that love and life then are, are interwoven. Life and love are interwoven. Our life is measured by the depth of our ability to love, intimacy. And love itself has the ability to give us and others life, both in quality and quantity, because of the sexual power. So there's just the the 10,000 foot view. You can see that intimacy rightly understood is the difference between life and death. Well, you know, as you're saying that, the thing that popped into my head was a little bit of what you said earlier and about self-creation. And isn't it an interesting distinction that from that false notion of self-creation, you do not have that power to create new life? That's exactly right. There's a sense in which God has made it where it must be relational mm-hmm. in order for there to be that power that capable that's capable of creating new life. And can you talk a little bit too, because I think this is really important. Can you talk a little bit too about how all these elements that you've been sharing about marriage um, are so directly connected even to the gospel? That this, the idea of covenant, the idea of even how you mentioned sexual intimacy and how there's the power of creating new life. Well, is that not what Christ does in, in his uh, union with us is creating new life? Can you talk about some of the parallels and why that's important? Also, know when a couple is seeking to say, number one, we'd like to build greater intimacy in our marriage. But number two, we'd like to know where there are gaps or brokenness in our intimacy. Yes. And how does that why is it important that the picture that God gives us of marriage actually is connected to the gospel? Oh, this is so beautiful, John. It's so beautiful. Um, first of all, just be clear. We're, we're talking based on your question about the a presumption of belief, right? That we are right. believers. We have some relationship with God because that that is first position. That's first principle. So now we desire to live our marriages in according to the scriptures in accordance with that relationship with the Lord and with our church. So with all of that, the question becomes more of like, how do we do this? As opposed to what must we do? Right. You know, exactly. it's, a, it's a different posture because in much of the marriage preparation, you don't, you can't presume belief. So you have to say, you know, what's, what's your heart's desire? But as believers, we know what our heart's desire is. It's love, peace, joy. It's hope. It's faith in God that we can live eternally with him, with the fullness of life and love and the, the vision of God. So we, we, we share that with that belief. So with that in mind, we can look at the scriptures and see the central role of marriage in how God conveys this salvation, this gift of life and love. That he started with marriage in the beginning of our scriptures. The, the, the origin story, whether it's Genesis 1 or Genesis 2, is a story about how the created world came to be specifically as an intentional act from God. And it wasn't about commandments. It wasn't about law. It wasn't doctrine. It wasn't necessarily dogma. This was God sharing our origin story, who we are. And that story, Genesis 2, begins with the marriage. The marriage of Adam and Eve is the first story. The scriptures end, the last book in the New Testament, the book of Revelation, it ends in a marriage. The marriage of Christ, the bridegroom, and the church is the bride. And if you read John's letter there, his vision there in Revelation, all of heaven is the wedding feast. Mm-hmm. It's the wedding feast of the Lamb. So let's take these bookends. The natural marriage of Adam and Eve in the beginning of Scripture. The supernatural marriage 
of Christ the bridegroom and the church as the bride is the end. So we have our origin and our destiny described through the lens of marriage. Then we can move in to St. Paul, Ephesians chapter 5. He mentions this in other ways, but 5, 21, 23, where he says in that, that great story of marriage in Ephesians, right, where it's essentially the marriage of the two marriages, where he says, and this is a great mystery, after speaking about wives, be submissive to your husbands. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. And this is a great mystery. And I mean in reference to Christ and the church. So it's as if he's marrying the end of this marriage of Christ, the bridegroom, and this natural marriage of Adam and Eve and saying it's, it's very much a hinge between the two. That our lived experience here is how we bridge and participate in the salvation story of God. And we can do that with a deeper understanding and experience of marriage. Now, there are other analogies in scriptures, right? But I think there's a pride of place when it comes to speaking about marriage and the salvation plan that makes every mundane, every annoyance, every difficulty in marriage that we experience right now uh, worthy of everything we have to work out our salvation in fear and trembling, as St. Paul says elsewhere, right? So it, I think he elevates the truth about what marriage is right now when we can rightly place his origin and his destiny in God's salvation plan. That's great. So let's start to uh, let's start to come out of the clouds, you know, come out of the 10,000 foot view and let's start talking to those couples where they're at. And I'd love to start with, in that part of the conversation of asking the question, if you were to have to start to kind of outline the really fundamental key principles and maybe even practices of building intimacy in marriage, where would you start and what would you say? Yeah. So again, presuming belief, Christians, uh, you know, scriptural and biblical desire to live marriage, that regardless of the difficulties, and there's some real, real difficulties people have in marriage, real wounds, hurts, addictions, abuse. Um, it's, it's, a, it's a very um, humbling ministry uh, to be in, in marriage and often humiliating because to see yourself and some of this brokenness in other people, it keeps you from staying in those clouds that you just talked mm -hmm. about. It keeps you from over-spiritualizing real uh, human challenges, but also from keeping human what really is a divine vocation. So it kind of keeps, you, keeps the balance. So with the couples, what we begin, particularly in Joyful Ever After, our ministry, something we call epic intimacy. And it's emotional, physical, intellectual, and communicative intimacy. Now, this is a lot of this is based on research, uh, secular research, as well as, as, as good Christian um, therapists who understand what needs to be overcome, what needs to be perfected in this day and age for two people who desire to live a Christian marriage, how do we do it? And there's things we need to deal with regarding time, regarding priorities, regarding expectations of what marriage is. We need to work on uh, the addictions that we have. The presumption is we all have an addiction. And I don't mean to level. There are various levels of addiction, right? Some more debilitating than others. But understanding addiction as being a habit that should be a virtue, a good habit leading to the good, but it leans toward a vice, or at least it's not a virtue, in that it's a habit that we do when we're lonely, mad, sad, bored, tired, angry. You know, we have these emotional states and there's things we do. Sometimes it could be food. 
Sometimes it's it's drink. Sometimes it's uh, television. Sometimes it's quiet. Sometimes it's a book. Sometimes it's running. Sometimes you know. So the thing itself doesn't have to be good or bad. It's just in those moments of us entering real challenge and difficulty, what do we lean toward to get out of that difficulty? So in marriage, we confront this because when two promise to be one at the altar, this place of life and death, or I should say this place of life from death, right? The altar, sacrifice, that we don't know, there's no roadmap to specifically how I am Damon Owens to be Melanie's husband, how Melanie is to be Damon's husband. We have principles. But every moment of our marriage is a revelation. Every conflict is an opportunity. Every delight is a confirmation because we're created for joy and joy is the fruit of love and peace is the fruit of right order. So joy, love, and peace are what these epic intimacy, emotional and level, the physical animal and a level, the intellectual, getting to know one another, communicative, both in skills and other things. So the first place to your question of where I start is really getting a snapshot of who's in front of me. Who are you? You know, what are the things that you've discovered about yourself? What have you discovered about your spouse in the weeks, years of marriage? And what are the things that really frustrate you? And what are the things that really delight you? See, each of those tells a story, Jonathan, about ourselves and about our other. And that to me is the starting point for growing deeper into intimacy. And we need to look at those specifics in light of our broader culture to get sort of a map of what to do next, of mm-hmm. what to prioritize next. Um, so that's that's where we start. It's very custom, very specific. Yeah. So, and I love that. I love that the epic um, kind of framework for that. In in the couples that you guys have have uh, served, what are some of the key hurdles or challenges that you see in couples when you are trying to navigate them through? an understanding of this epic marriage, this, you know, this really thriving, uh, growing, intimate relationship? What are some of the key challenges that you see, maybe as it relates to any one of those four elements of epic or just to the whole thing in general? Yeah, good question. And um, the the challenge is that, um, you know, every couple is so unique and yet there are patterns that emerge you know, across, across couples. And Melanie and I have talked about this, about how much of that sort of memory do we keep, uh, you know, by still honoring each couple unique as unrepeatable, but also bringing in some broader cultural things. So I'll answer the question. I just, I just, just to be ten- sensitive to, you know, the uniqueness of each couple. There are some things that we do see, you know, based on those who have already come to us. And, you know, as we, we continue to learn more, um, one of the big things, and it's, it's in, these things are in stages or we call seasons of marriage. So in the first, you know, few years of marriage, three to five years, depending on the children, there's this early stage of marriage where the biggest issues are expectations and dashing or dealing with dashed expectations of the realities of marriage. And we joke about it. People joke about it all the time, but there's a real hurt. There's a real wound when mm-hmm. your expectation of how you're loved and to be loved is not being met. So there's an urgency there. And uh, the Gottman Institute, a wonderful secular um, marriage research group, says the average couple spends six years, six years of unhappiness before they reach out for help. That's a long time. 
So these early years are about managing expectations. You know, what did you think you were going to get? What did did you think marriage was? Who did you think you were marrying? And getting them really on the same page for this, this common goal of marriage. Later on, the children become the issue in that it's, it's a serious navigation to now let life, let love create new life to grow your family. And what we call the tyranny of the immediate, the tyranny of the, of the moment with kids and the demands of that and how, um, you know, we really need to be attentive and intentional in how we place and keep our marriages first and to continue the work, even while you'll never be in balance. There's no such thing as balance in life or in marriage, but you have reorientation when you get disoriented. So there's disorientation. We lose our, our bearings because we're dealing with the thing in the moment. So the reorientation becomes sort of keeping that North Star of what your marriage is so that when you're out of orientation, you can move, you can move back. And then when you drift another way, you can, you can move back. And kids, there's nothing like kids in these years of to disorient marriages. It, we're not attentive and intentional about it. Melanie and I have suffered that for, for a few decades now, you know, just, just allowing ourselves to, to just drift apart when the demands and the needs of the family and finances and work, you know, come into that. And we're, we do this all the time and, and we drift all the time. So there's a, there's an well, acknowledgement with that. That's, that's actually one of the questions that I wanted to ask you is, is even just personally, and you can just pick anything. <laughs> I was going to say, what's, what's maybe one, you know, challenge that you and Melanie have hit and how did you press through that? Or what does it look like to press through that with this idea of we were made for joy? We were made for love. We have this hope. Um, can you give any examples? I mean, not with getting too personal, but just the idea of, because one of the things we love to do around here is say, listen, story is what builds the bridge yeah. between our yeah. lives. And so love it. if there's something personal that can come out, I know our listeners would love to hear it just because, again, they want to go, now, is this guy talking as somebody who's like walked this path or is he talking <laughs> to somebody who's just academically, you know, you know and, well, and that's what I want to know when I'm listening to people. No, I get it. I get it. I think the the biggest thing, and this is, this is past and present in our, in our marriage is, um, you know, we're so different. I, I am, I'm very much an extrovert. I'm very out there. I say what I mean. I mean what I say. And when I don't, I feel like a lack and I've got to correct it. I mean, that's my, Melanie is very much an introvert. She's not shy, but she could literally spend hours, days, weeks contemplating something and then, and then, you know, form. So that's been a huge thing. So right around 2013, um, I'm out in full-time ministry and I'm traveling a lot, I'm coming home and I'm, I'm, you know, thinking I'm doing, you know, both. I'm getting you know, the street lights are all lit, you know, out in the ministry and the house is all lit and lamp. And I had, um, Melanie can just said, we're a mess. The family is a mess and we need to, the girls need you. We have eight children, seven daughters, and, uh, and, and a son, uh, two youngest ones through adoption. So we were, there were always some issues that we were working through. But 2013 was a, was a watershed year because in my blindness, I, I, you know, called the family together one, you know, when I was there and asked them blankly, you know, what, uh, pointedly, um, you know, where are you guys? And, and, and um, you know, where's your heart? Have I hurt you? What's the, and they didn't want to say anything because, you know, these were, these were, you know, young teenagers and they knew the work that I do with marriage and family and they knew how important it was. And, um, but when we really got down to it, they, they had come to the resolve that dad is just not around. 
Dad's not around. We can't count on him being around. Um, I, I, you know, we, he's got a certain level of patience. He's tired when he comes home. He's anxious before he leaves. And the reality is that, that, that dad, we just don't, ex- we don't, we don't expect dad to be around anymore. Now, I don't know how that resonates with your listeners or viewers, but even saying this nine years later is like a sword in my heart. Mm. It's a sword in my heart. And to hear it from them, it just, it rocked me of just, Part of it was like, oh, I'm, I'm a failure. I wanted to be. I'm not what I thought I was. I, I'm not as engaged, as thoughtful. I'm teaching these lofty things out to the world and getting all this recognition and failing at that specific thing in my own house. And I ended up literally canceling a year's worth of talks. I took the entire 2013 and part of 2014 off just to be at home. And anybody who's in ministry knows that's that's not that's that's okay, Lord. You know, let, let's you know help me. Right. But it was it was that jolting, and um, turns out that the fruit of that disconnect with my children was sourced in the disconnect with Melanie, mm-hmm. and that she was able during that year to really talk in her heart about how I've um, not been there for her emotionally. How, you know, my needs, when I need something, I'll just say it and, you know, and make it clear. She doesn't operate that way. There's a certain anticipation that she looks for. You know, she knows you have to speak your needs. That's clear. But, but there's a different way that that's, that's lived. Her love language is very much a physical touch and presence, you know, time spent, quality yeah. time. And, and that difference in, in, in mine, mine, mine's words of affirmation, primary and physical touch, secondary. So I'm, you know, when my needs are met and hers aren't, it causes deep wounds. And this has been going on for, you know, she went back to like 1996, like 15 years of, of this lack and this hurt and this wound. So that year became where we really uh, were intentional about putting our marriage first, about addressing things we hadn't in, you know, at that point, you know, 20 years of marriage and the fruit from that, and it was slow, but the fruit from that in these last nine years has been, has been just remarkable. Yeah. And, you know, we've, we've fallen, we've, we've gotten into points where I've been just despairing, like I've been doing this. How can this not be? I've done everything I can, you know, the woe is me, you know, Damon stuff. I'm trying, I'm trying, you know? Um, but it really is, is this work that um, when I'm not, when I'm not humble, when there's not a level of humility, that's when the humiliation comes in, right? There will be a leveling. There will be a, a reckoning, right? The ground is level at the foot of the cross. But uh, I find that it really is my pride in, you know, showing up in all the different ways that keeps me from being attentive, being more attentive, of being more um, giving, being more loving. So this is what we're working on. It's 2022. This is what we're working yeah. on right now, attentiveness. Well, and I, I appreciate you sharing that with uh, with us, um, and I appreciate the fact that it it illustrates to us something that I think is very important as as married couples who do want that joyful life, do want that intimacy in our marriages. Is that marriage is not something that you can set it and forget it. That's like, right. It, it is a constantly need. It's got a constant need for cultivation. Right. Mm -hmm. And so Mm -hmm. I love the fact that you just gave us a little snapshot of what does that look like over, you know, 29 years. And there was a period in there was like, man, something 
had kind of been unaddressed for a long time. And then, but when it did get addressed, there was fruit that came from that because there is that attitude of we're in this together, right? There's a yep. oneness there yep. that says whether what's, you know, what's the, the uh, old traditional vows and sickness and in health for better or for worse, like we're in this thing all the way through. So as we wrap up here, we've only got a couple of minutes left. I would love for you to, to share with our listeners where they can get more information specifically about the Epic Challenge and then just anything else about your ministry and what you're doing and resources that you'd like to share. Yeah, thank you for that. So uh, the central place is Joyful Ever After, one word, joyfuleverafter.org. Or you can go right to Epic, E-P-I-C, epicintimacy.org. And we have a free four-day challenge, email drop, 10 minutes a day uh, for samples of each of these emotional, physical, intellectual, and communicative intimacy. So epicintimacy.org or joyfuleverafter.org. And that's where we, we keep all the goods. Yeah, awesome. Any final words of encouragement that you want to give to a couple out there that is just, mm. hey, wherever they may be on this spectrum, mm. anything that you would want to say to try to encourage them to keep pressing forward in building deeper intimacy in the relationship? Yeah, two things just popped in my head. One, um, you are not alone. You, as, as lonely and frustrating as marriage can be as a wife and as a husband, as disconnected and sense of, you know, of, of failure and, and isolation of hurts and wounds, you are not alone. And one of the great gifts we have as a church, as believers in Christ is the, the call, not just the ability, but the call to enter into real friendship and community. It won't be with hundreds, but all of us needs that circle of friends that we can be authentic friends with, intimate friends who are marriage supporting, who we can speak to either older with their wisdom or younger to be encouragers or peers to be able to be heard in a way, uh, individually or together, but we're not meant to live this alone. And the second part of that is just the truth that um, God called you to marriage and the challenges that we have in marriage, he will, he will be there with us. And the challenges that we have to, um, you know, to become what he's created us to be are meant to be brought to him. So God is with you first and foremost. But um, our vision with Joyful Ever After has always been a community of like-minded believers, marriage-friendly, uh, that changes the culture. Yeah. Well, Damon, thank you so much for being with us. It's been a joy to have you on here. And uh, I, I believe this is going to be incredibly beneficial to all of our listeners. So thank you. Oh, word to God. Thank you for having me. Appreciate the invitation. Yeah. And listeners, we're always glad that you're with us. And uh, we will put all of this in the show notes. I really encourage you to go take the Epic Challenge. Um, and if you need more help along your journey, feel free to reach out to us. And we look forward to seeing you back here again next time on the Pure Sex Radio program. Take care. Pure Sex Radio is paid for by Be Broken Ministries. Visit us online at puresexradio.com.